Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. It was just that bad. And our culture, our culture sucked. Uh, they tried to, they tried to manufacture leaders, right? And at this level, you will know that that typically don't work out well. Mm. And it wasn't organic. And they tried to make leaders to guys who got paid the most, right? Mm. Wouldn't work. And, you know, I argue that our success or lack thereof was because of things like that, as opposed to, you know, letting the team select our leaders and doing things that way. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Hello. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. Um, I'm, I'm super excited to, to be bringing to you one of my good friends. He's a, a, a mentor of mine, somebody who I got a chance to play with and played with him for two years when I was with the Chargers. And he had a lot of success. And it's more off the field. He was successful on the field but the brains and the knowledge that he had that we would often, man, we have a lot of deep conversations when we play together. And he just, he was, um, he he's, was different than the modern day football player. His name is Ryan McNeil. 
And Ryan, I'm just going to tell you just a little bit. I'm, I'm going to brag on Ryan because he's not going to do it. Um, but Ryan, uh, he was uh, All-American corner out of, the, out of the U. That's right, Miami. He won two national championships while he was there. Uh, he played 11 years in the NFL. He was a pro bowler. Um, but like I said, like off the field, man, he's a successful entrepreneur. Uh, he has a couple of businesses. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him talk more about that. But uh, it's just a guy that um, I've always, like I said, I looked up to. And one of the smartest individuals, not football players, because that, that's a given, but one of the smartest individuals I ever have uh, come across. So, Ryan, welcome to the Shark Effect, my man. Alex, Alex, how you doing? <laughs> uh, and uh, thank you for those kind uh, words of introduction. Happy to be here, happy to talk, happy to chat. Look forward to it. Uh, uh, I've been looking forward to it since you, uh, we've talked before, uh, to share a little nuggets, some experiences and always good stuff. And so, uh, I think the platform that you built is a great one and I'm looking forward to being part of it. Man, I appreciate that. You know, when you have people, you know, they talk bad about you in your face, right? <laughs> we used to do that. We used to do that. <laughs> but when, but when you talk good about somebody, when they're not there, that shows a lot. And so I was pretending that you wasn't there. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to talk trash to you in your face. So. It goes both ways. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, tell me a little bit about your background, man. I, I know you're from, from my, Miami, but what got you into, um, let's just start with playing football. What got you into that? So um, I try to keep things brief and, um, and, and not go into – too much of a rabbit hole and too long-winded, but I think initially, uh, you know, football wasn't, you know, my calling. And so, you know, growing up in Fort Pierce, Florida, where I'm from, is still considered South Florida. Uh, single parent, my mom, Rose Haywood, uh, she was a disciplinarian and she was an educator. And so uh, sports was a, um, an incentive uh, sports was a bonus. Uh, her focus has always been around, uh, you know, academics. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of my focus growing up. No matter what I did was to get good grades because if I got good grades, I was able to play, play sports, right? Uh, graduated from high school with honors, went to the University of Miami, as you mentioned, was there uh, five years, graduated there. Uh, when I was there, two-time national champion, two-time All-American, captain, uh, probably since my freshman year. So that was rare because I played early. Uh, we had some injuries and uh, I was on the first national championship team my, my, my freshman year in 89. Lucky enough to be uh, Detroit Lions first pick, number 33 overall. I'm a father of two beautiful girls, 123, Kyla, and 17, uh, Parker. But to answer your question, Alex, um, it was because I wanted to be like the rest of the kids. Right. That's what got me involved in in football, uh, even in the neighborhood neighborhood. You have the older kids and you see what they doing. They're having fun. And, you know, kids are impressionable. And I want to be like the older kids. I wanted to play, be able to play with the with the older kids, uh, touch on the road, tackle on the grass. And uh, that's where it started. You know, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be picked first. Right. So being young. You. Uh, 
you have to wait till all the other kids, the older kids get picked. And then, you know, if they don't have enough, then they pick you. And, uh, and I felt a certain kind of way about that. And I said, I want to get better and better. So they start picking me first. And so that's kind of where, where it all started, if I'm honest. I love that, man. Being picked first. <laughs> being that's was so that was like the the driving thing for you is is being picked first in terms of athletics exactly uh i wanted to um uh be wanted growing up my only child uh, i have two younger sisters uh on my dad's side um and um you know i loved them to death but growing up as an only child um you know there's not that competition you have with siblings uh, in the house. And so sometimes you got to manufacture that. And that came in the form for me, playing with the kids outside, playing with the older kids. And um, you like when, you know, they brag on you or this person faster, this person can do this, this person can do that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, social dynamics in playing sports, neighborhood sports, you no, know, you know, sandlot sports. And uh, again, picking, you know, being picked early and being picked first was uh, was important to me. And I think that manifested itself in me being, uh, you know, driven to be the best athlete I can be. Man, so you you were competitive. You had that competitive spirit early. That's what it sounds um, like. It, well, it, it, it early in the sense that, um, again, so it started with academics, right? Mm -hmm. It started with academics, trying to get the best grades you can. Uh, to make your parents and, and family proud. And it uh, leaked over into uh, athletics because uh, the same rules apply. You know, you study hard, you study long. Uh, typically, you're going to get good grades. And that was, you know, standard from elementary school all the way through high school and college. And so the same you know, principles applied. And I realized that uh, I was probably... I was a late bloomer, right? So, so, so let's, let's be clear. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> the, the Ryan you played with at San Diego wasn't the same one in, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. I was a late bloomer. I didn't play tackle football until seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, right before high school. Oh, me uh, me and my friend, oh, okay. yeah. Many of my friends played third grade, fourth grade, and they were more skilled, right? They were more skilled. Uh, they understood the game better. And uh, I was a late bloomer. And uh, I was a little bit behind. Uh, I had to make up a lot of ground uh, to become uh, better than them and to become the best I can be. And so uh, I applied the rules and principles that I learned on the academic side uh, to sports. You know, I wanted to and needed to learn the game, understand the rules. And once I had a grasp of that, then uh, my body finally caught up with myself. And, uh, and I would start to make the, the plays that I know I can make, be in positions where I needed to be uh, to, to make a difference in the game, you know, for my team. And so, you know, if, you know, if you distill it down, and we talked about that earlier, if you distill it down, a lot of it started from, um, you know, academics. Mm. You know what? And one principle that you, you you just spoke on, but I saw it. And you were one of the, I want to say the three most prepared professional athletes I've ever saw. It was you, Junior Seau, 
and Sammy Knight. And all you guys had tremendous amount of success. You played more than 10 years, multiple Pro Bowls, but prepared. So I'm writing that down right now. And I want my listeners to make sure you write this down. Is being prepared can help speed up your learning curve. So that's, that's, that's one that I'm like, okay, he was prepared. And it started off in the classroom. Like you said, it leaked into athletics. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so, man, when you think back about your experiences growing up, which ones really shaped who you are? Like, what stands out for you as a defining moment? And it could be, it can be at any stage, but I want to know what that, what was that moment that, you know what, I'm going to, this is, uh, I'm going down one way, but this is the road that, that has chosen me. Um, that's a good question. So I've had many experiences that I think kind of shaped me in one way or another. Uh, those are the experiences of uh, being in church, uh, learning, uh, you know, uh, what to do, what not to do from a biblical sense. Uh, martial arts was big. Uh, I martial was, arts? Uh, yeah, I was in martial arts before I played football, before I played tackle football. Um, Man, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And martial arts taught me discipline. Mm-hmm. And to this day, uh, I use some of those same techniques um, to kind of keep my discipline, kind of keep centered. Because it teaches you to defend yourself, right? It doesn't teach you to go out there and beat people up, right? There's a difference. And, you know, for mm-hmm. in the practice and the purpose uh, of being able to defend yourself, and you do it only when uh, only when needed. Um, I think um, Pop Warner was important, and some of my experiences. Uh, the first year I played, we were like the equivalent of the Bad News Bears. Uh, we were, I think, two and eight. We were terrible. Um, a lot of my friends were uh, new uh, to tackle football as well, so they almost seemed like they put everybody new on the same team. And uh, that was an interesting experiment. But the second year, uh, we won a championship. And so uh, it goes back to, you know, uh, everybody was hungry. Uh, We learned our positions. We became a team. And so that was a really good experience that I keep with me always because I know, you know, we always been taught by uh, Frank Gantz, you know, begin with the end in mind. And uh, didn't know that at the time. Uh, you know, some of us just wanted to go have fun, but being Begin competitive. The, hold, on, hold on one second, Ryan. Begin yeah. with the end in end mind. In mind, yes. And, uh, you know, a lot of us wanted to have fun. You know, our parents wanted to uh, drop us off, you know, glorify a babysitter. Uh, but Pop Warner, you know, peer pressure at school, uh, kids talk, uh, we beat your team, uh, our team beat your team. Uh, you know, we're going to beat y'all and so on and so forth. And so you go back and forth with that and you want it to, you know, you're competitive. I don't want to lose at nothing. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't care who you are, where we are. And that was important. That experience going from the bottom to the top was, uh, was, was key for me. And, you know, you kind of learned a lot about the thing about team sports, Alex, you, you and you know this well. You not only learn about others, what they do what they like, how they like, what you learned about yourself. Mm. And that was key for me to learn about myself. 
and um and you know I, I learned how much I can endure. I learned uh, to be a, a leader. I learned to be a follower. Uh, I learned to be able to practice independently. There's a lot of things I learned, you know, during that pop one a season, uh, the season after we lost, right? I didn't want to have that feeling anymore. And talking to some of my teammates, we didn't want to have that feeling anymore collectively. And so, so that, that was important. And so, um, that was one fishing with my dad was another one. Right. So, and I'll tell you why, um, my dad lived here in Atlanta while I was growing up in Florida. And so I would be with him for the summers and I look forward to all the time, all the time. Uh, my, my dad passed away about, um, about 17 years ago, but fishing with him was so much fun. And I think the reason because of it was because of, because I caught fish the first time. Right. And, uh, that makes sports, it fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and then you literally hooked, right? So figurative yeah. and literally you hooked because, you know, you expect him to catch fish all the time. And little did I know that that's not the case. And so, uh, it happened to be a good day, uh, to fish and it happened to be a great day for me hanging out with my dad, but I would learn about the different fish we was catching. Uh, and how to catch the fish, right? How do you determine, you know, what spots to go to and what would probably yield more fish than some other spots? And so uh, that was funny because it taught me patience, uh, taught me patience. Um, another experience yes. and was uh, my senior year in high school, I was uh, the number one ranked uh, long jumper in the, um, in the area. And Typically, your your best jumpers jump last, right? Uh, but this was the district championship, and it was being hosted at a neighboring county, and uh, they had me going first. Well, you know, I'm doing five other events, five or six other events too, and so you know, you're trying to rush uh, to get jumped to go to the 200 or 400. I forgot exactly what order it was. But it was I and my coach was saying, hey, you know, he's the number one ranked guy. He needs to go last and he has the 200 or 400 or whatever it was. And uh, and uh, <coughs> and I'm assuming they, they knew this. And it was like, no, he has to jump first. He had to jump now. And if you don't jump in the next you know, 10 minutes, then, uh, you know, he's going to be disqualified. Well, you know, I was projected to go to state. In, uh, in the long jump and um, what happened, you know, I scratched uh, the uh, the first time and you got two more times. I was like, man, this is, you know, this is some bull. And uh, so I went and ran the 400 or 200, whatever it was, came back, did a uh, jump maybe three feet before I hit the board. And so I was three feet short. I forgot what it was. It was, it was maybe an average jump for me. So I was like, I got, you know, I got one more and uh, wasn't really worried about what everybody else was doing. Long story short, I came back after another event and uh, my third and final jump. And uh, it was, um, and I scratched again. So when they did the calculations and tabulations, I didn't place, I, I didn't move on to regionals. And so I was so disappointed and almost distraught that uh, I broke down crying. And I don't think any of my teammates uh, have ever saw me, saw me cry. And it was my last year. I felt so 
uh, despondent. And so I think my mom saw me in the stands. So she came over, which she rarely does, came over and talked to me. It's like, hey, listen, you got, there's a, you got four or five other events left and your team is dependent on you. Uh, this is over and done. It's gone. You know, no matter what the rules was and how they, you know, how they, uh, how they decided to, to, uh, to do the long jump, it's over. You know, refocus and get ready for the rest of your events. I needed that. I needed to hear that uh, because uh, she said, get yourself together, uh, go around the building. I go went around the building, got myself together and kind of remembered who I was and remember what I was and what I was there for. I wasn't there just for me. I was there for our team. And, uh, and after that pep talk, uh, chewing out, pep talk, however you want to classify, you know, I was, um, I, I was, I was back to, I was back to myself mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, we did well and placed first and the rest of the events that I, I was in individually and team wise. And we won, uh, the districts and, uh, went on to, to do well in regionals. And I was, uh, triple jump and, uh, four, 400 went to state individually in the 400 and triple jump. So I did well. Long story short, I had to be reminded, uh, as much success as I had, I had to be reminded who I was, uh, with that, uh, disappointing, uh, showing. And, um, and sometimes it happens, right? Sometimes it happens to us, you know, in, in life, what we're doing. And I needed that early. And that stood out to me so big. Um, the other two, and I'm, I'll be fast, was again cut from varsity football my uh, sophomore year. Uh, that hurt. <laughs> that, mm. that hurt. That stung. Uh, and I think the reason why it stung so much is because I had friends who made it and I didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played different positions, but still they made it and I didn't. And I'm like, man, I know that that hurt. And uh, but Alex, I tell you, that was the chip on my shoulder. I carried all, all the way through the NFL. Oh, I like this. I like this. <laughs> that was a chip on my shoulder. I carried all the way through the NFL. It's like I'm never going to let this happen to me again. And, yeah, that uh, Michael Jordan moment. It it, 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 it it was and so and and the thing about the coach that uh at the time you know he old school coach and the the way you know you get you got cut was that you had a band-aid in your locker right so you know a band-aid in your locker you get cut so you put, oh, put a, you oh. put a band-aid on the cut you're like you, you to cut. add more <laughs> hold on to add more insult, insult to injury, to injury. exactly oh, okay okay exactly and so you know i'm thinking i got a great chance uh but you know open up the locker and there was my band-aid and uh i'm like man i didn't want to play sports anymore be honest with you, I didn't want to play sports anymore. I was like, man, I'm not, not just this. football, sports. Sports. Yeah, because I'm gonna put myself through that. It's like, and all the hard work I put in, and uh they still not gonna, you know, uh they 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 don't see it, they don't appreciate it. And um, and granted, you know, there might have been a logical reason. Uh, but to this day, the coach would say, you know, he he blew it, right? You know, when when, when they see you now, it's like oh. Uh, you know, they blew it and they made a mistake and, you know, it was one of the worst mistakes that uh, that they made as a coach, yada, yada, yada. But at that time, you know, as a as a 
you know, 14, 15 year old kid, you know, that's, that's devastating. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't want to. But that kind of shaped you. It, 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 did, it did. I mean, you know, they, they say iron sharpens iron, right? And so, mm. you know, we, we talk about, you know, we can talk about a lot of successes all day, every day, but, you know, it's the failures to me that you learn the most from, right? Mm. And again, you not only learn about others, but you learn about yourself. And, you know, this time, you know, my, my pops chimed in on, uh, on me not playing or wanting to play, um, chimed in, my, um, my, my, my grandma chimed in, uh, my mom, obviously. And so, you so know, when you say have, chime in, what does that, what does that mean? What they, what they say? Get, get, they can chime in and kind of talk you off the ledge, right? Okay. That's, the, that's okay. the why. It's like, you love playing sports, right? Mm-hmm. And do you do you try are you trying to play to for the notoriety for the uh, the adulation or because it's funny you love it you know let's be clear don't change uh, because of this uh, you know one setback and you know you heard all of the uh, mottos and slogans you know. Uh, a setback is only a setup for a comeback, yada, yada, yada. I wasn't trying to hear all that, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 14 years old. You know, I wasn't trying to You don't to got time that. for cliches. I ain't, got, <laughs> I, ain't got, I ain't got time for that, man. And I'm like, you know, we 14, so we're impressionable, right? So, and it's varsity. So you get to travel, right? You get to go to pet rallies. You get to be, you know, focused on pet rallies. Girls, you know, so your hormones, your hormones are going mm-hmm. uh, crazy right about then. And uh, and you think it to yourself, it's like, I'm going to miss all that. You know, I'm not going to be, be able to take part of all that. And so, the, you know, I wasn't thinking logically, like, you know, the way my mom broke it down, my big cousin uh, at the time, he was at Vanderbilt. He's like, look, you play JV, you know, you're going to be the captain. Coach McGriff already told you you can be the captain. Uh, He's going to depend on you. Uh, and after the JV season, you move up to varsity and uh, play varsity or if they have an injury you can move up to varsity but you know this is your path this is your process and so you know i wanted to be like him he played varsity his freshman year right and uh and so uh that didn't happen because you know that was still a lot for me to learn long story short uh you know talking to him talking to my family you know things became clear and the more i was away I think I was away all, all of like 48 hours, man. I mean, it, is, <laughs> it went a long time, it was like 48 hours. And, and that was enough for me to know that I love uh, playing football, love playing sports, and I can be separated from it. You know, come hella high water, whatever it was going to be, I needed to be participating. And, uh, and that, was a, that, was, that, was, that was a lesson learned there. You know, why are you playing? And uh, you play for the love of the game. Absolutely. So, so I'm here, man. Failure can teach us, right? And I know us, former defensive backs, we don't get our name called. People ain't going to remember a ton of us for making pass deflections, you know what I'm saying? And, or, uh, or even like big tackles. They remember us for touchdowns, right? Success. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I'm sorry, uh, interceptions. Mm-hmm. But they also remember us for giving up touchdowns. Touchdowns. You know, right? Yeah. And I remember, I can't, if it was in practice, I think it was in practice, but you were the first one player 
And I was in my sixth or seventh year and yelling at me. I, I, I can get it from, you know, from, from, a, from a coach yelling, yelling at me, telling me, hey, man, you know, we need you here. You need to do better. It was from you. And I was like, what? Just yelling at me like this for? But I really needed that. Like you talk about pep talk. Man, I needed that pep talk. And it wasn't because then I remember getting down on myself and you weren't yelling at me because I got beat. You was yelling at me because of my posture, because yep. I was like, man, oh, man. Yep. he said, man, you slapped me upside my head. Like, come on, come on, milk. You're better than this. You're fine. You'd be all right. Just, but don't be showing that that posture. Mm-mm. And I remember Mm-mm. that, man, when you so when you was talking about the pep talk that your <clears throat> that your mama gave you. I started, I had a big old smile on my face, man, because I remember <laughs> you doing that for me. And um, no, that's great. But, you know, we've learned so much. We learn so much in life from our failures. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to, to, to fail, but you got to own it. So many times, the people that I'm coaching, they have different excuses, right? And you have to own it. It's not because of this individual this circumstance, the weather, that whatever it is, man, own it. You have to own it first. And, and I wonder where it comes from, right? So we in the business of accountability. And, you know, it was hard for us to say, oh, this person didn't do this. And like you said, being a defensive back, you know, you know 100,000 people watch us every day live. And then probably another few million on TV. So there was really not a place for us to hide. And I tell people all the time, you know, we literally, you know, people came to work, you know, when, when we go to work, everybody's watching us. And when your name is called, you write one or two things, something very, very good, or very, very bad. And, uh, and you know, when, when my, my, my friends that I grew up with now, I, I kind of tell them because they, they don't understand. I said, Suppose like millions of people come to your job and watch you do what you do every day. And, you know, they able to criticize and say this and say that, cheer you, jeer you, you know, could you handle that? And, and I told them, I, I argue, no. I said, you know, I said, athletes and athlete minds are, are, are born, not made. And, uh, and I said, I don't think you all would um, be able to handle uh, that type pressure because it's every day. And I tell him, I said, being a cornerback in the National Football League is the hardest job in sports, period, in the story. I've been telling there's, people for years. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's no comparison. And I said, that prepared me and prepare you for just about anything. Uh, being a father, being a husband, uh, being a partner. Uh, you know, once you've gone through that fire, um, you know, you, 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 you're made to, to endure a whole lot of other things, but no, you're right. I think that, uh, you know, those experiences, what I saw in you is like, yeah, we all get beaten, but I'm not going to let the other team know how I'm feeling. I'm not going to let the, you know, and we was going against probably the offense at the times, like I'm not going to let them know, uh, you know, how I'm feeling. You know, we go to the sideline. And, uh, and, and, and figure it out and have another plan, game plan coming out. And, uh, and that's kind of what I liked about you is that you embraced it. 
he received it and he came out, you know, swinging, came out better. And, and it made us better uh, as a secondary, made us better as a defense, made us better as a team uh, to have that kind of mindset and, and mentality uh, because it, it, it paid off. It paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, talk a little bit about your journey uh, to becoming a successful entrepreneur. So Ryan was, was, was one of these cats that he would be in the locker room and he would be reading the New York Post, the, the Washington Post. He would be reading. Every time I see he had this newspaper, legs crossed. And everybody else, man, we would be joking around, messing around. But Ryan, just, he, was, he was different. He was, he was built different from a lot of us who, who I played with. So um, I know, you, you know you've done some amazing things when you were playing, but also I want to talk about now off the field. So can you just talk a little bit about becoming a entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur? And what are you doing so, now? You know what I'm saying? Like with your businesses. Yeah, so, so, so I'll start with this. Uh, success is relative, right? Yeah. Um, yeah it, 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 it depends on what, how you define it for yourself. And I think we all have to define success for ourselves, but we can use, you know, past measurements as a gauge or a guide. And I try to follow uh, the same methodology, the same philosophy uh, that I use as an athlete, um, because a lot of it is applicable, right? A lot of it is uh, translatable to uh, being an entrepreneur. But I have three key points to really talk about. One was uh, one of my mentors, uh, Dave Melser. You may know Dave, um, but Dave, I was talking about a dummy tax. And a dummy tax comes in a lot of different forms. And it comes in the form of time. You got to put in your time. And it kind of, it comes into uh, uh, money. So there's some things that uh, you did or spent that you wish you hadn't. Right. Oh my and so, <laughs> so, 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 so that's dummy tax, right? A lot of, a lot of things you put your time in that didn't pan out, uh, wasn't fruitful. Uh, it wasn't a desired outcome. And that's part of the dummy tax. And so uh, now, if that same scenario happens, you're wiser for it, right? You know what not to do, what to do, how to do it, how to approach it, and, uh, and whether or not to put your time involved in it, or whether or not to put your money involved in it. So that's one. And I think that the sooner you start paying your dummy tax, um, uh, the better off uh, one would be, right? Mm, no matter what... Sick. Uh, area you would you would you would you would um, uh, head in. Uh, another one is that goes for relationships too. I'm guessing that goes for relationships too. You got to put your time in. You got to put your time in to know right whether yeah. if, uh, if if she's the one uh, or not. You got to put the time in. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is uh, carrying your own boxes, right? What does that mean? Well, this comes from Franco Harris. Uh, NFL Hall of Famer, Franco Harris. Um, early in my career, even while I was still playing, I launched this uh, business organization for professional athletes called PBFN, which stands for Professional Business and Financial Network. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. had conferences. And Franco Harris was gracious enough to uh, be a speaker at our conference. Our first one was, uh, was in Dallas. And one of the things he said that as he transitioned, um, you know, he has a nutritional baked goods company. 
And when he was starting out, <clears throat> he wasn't afraid uh, to carry his own box, right? He was the owner, uh, president, CEO of the company. And what he wanted to be able to do was show, show uh, the rest of his team and employees that, you know, he's not too big to carry his own boxes. And he said when he was delivering uh, the uh, supplies to the stores and to the restaurants, you know, he would hear whispers. Oh, ain't that Franco Harris? Ain't that Franco? Oh, he's doing bad. You know, he, he's out here and, uh, working in a truck and, and carrying his boxes. And so he said that he heard that and it didn't bother him. And, uh, and the takeaway was, if you're going to be uh, the leader of the company, you're going to start a company, you got to be able to do uh, what you asking, you know, your employees to do. Mm. And he said that he was never afraid to carry his own boxes. And I thought that was so profound to me uh, because I use that same thought process. I'm not going to ask uh, any of my team members uh, to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. Uh, the third one comes from another Hall of Famer, and uh, you'll 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 get a kick out of how I got uh, uh, Roger Starback to come to the same conference. So we got Pittsburgh Steelers mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. You know how did that happen? How did I was able to get that pull that off? Yeah, I never met Roger Starback at all, ever. Um, but um, uh, I got his number. Uh, from Rich Dalrymple from the Dallas Cowboys uh, communication director. And I called him and told him what I wanted to do. And I got a secretary, I think, and uh, told him who I was, who I was calling. And she said, I have him call him back. And so uh, somebody called me back, I think might have been in practice and left a number. And so I called that number. I'm thinking it's to his office or direct dial at his office or whatever the case may be. But I called it and uh, I said, you know, uh, hello, this is Ryan McNeil. I'm calling for Roger Starbuck. And um, uh, she said, um, uh, hold on a second. Hun, telephone. It was his home number. <laughs> I was like, I'm freaking out. I was like, okay, I'm about to talk to Roger Starbuck. So I said, keep it together, Ryan, keep it together. So uh, Roger gets on. I tell him what, you know, I want, uh, you know, I, I, I make the ask, uh, tell him that, um, you know, we uh having a conference, business conference, and because, you know, he's been really successful in business, uh, transitioned well as a, as a professional athlete, I would love to have him speak, and it was right there in Dallas. And uh, he said, uh, you know, yeah, I think about it. And then I told him, I said, um, I want you to know that, that Franco Harris already committed. So, you know, we don't want the Pittsburgh Steelers there and no, not have a representative for the Dallas Cowboys. So he got a chuckle out of that. And he said, you know, give me a week or two and uh, I'll let you know. And so uh, luckily, uh, for us, he was available and uh, and he made it. But his point was that you got to leverage who you are. Uh, he told a story about starting out in the real estate business and that his boss initially gave him a table, a phone and a chair uh, and a phone book instead of start dialing, uh, you know, getting people interested in real estate. He said, literally, that's how you started. Uh, obviously, you know, as his professional career uh, went along. Uh, he had a ton of success, won Super Bowls, became a Hall of Famer. Uh, he said that he had leverage and that he could, uh, you know, be a part of uh, some foursomes in golf that the competitors uh, couldn't match. You know, he'll put together, you know, a, a Hall of Fame foursome 
for some of the, the clients or potential clients to golf with and nobody can match that. And so his, his point was leverage who you are, you know, uh, don't be afraid to leverage who you are. Uh, you and I talked earlier that we're probably, you know, more than modest guys in the, in the, in pro sports, modest professional athletes. And that that's good in some areas, but in business, you got to leverage who you are. And I thought that was a really good takeaway uh, from him. And so uh, it was easy for me to kind of look at those uh, key leaders uh, who made transition, uh, who did a good job in transitioning uh, well, right? So we've always been good at taking little nuggets and pieces of somebody else's game and incorporating in our own. Absolutely. Uh, Again, no difference uh, than what we would do in athletics did it in business as an entrepreneur, you know, those, there were already, uh, ideals. There was already, um, examples of what a good transition looked like. And I wanted to kind of pattern, uh, myself after the likes of Franco Harris, Roger Straubach, Dave Bing, uh, Junior Bridgman, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, you name it, you know, those are examples out there. And I tried to kind of take as much as I could uh, from a lot of them and incorporate it to what I was doing. Absolutely. Hey, hey that's why there's a shark effect. That's why, that's why I do this podcast, Ryan. Is I, want the, I want for people to, to, to learn and get these qualities of these high performers, like what, what you can steal from now us to make it and apply it, adapt those same principles. And that can give you, maybe you don't have to, pay so much in a dummy tax. <laughs> <I like laughs> well, that, that. <laughs> that's what we're trying to prevent, right? Yeah, we're, yeah. We're trying to prevent the, 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 the high dummy tax. It's a small <laughs> dummy tax. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, um, man, Ryan, success is, is, you know, we define it so many different ways. And it's, like you said, it's relative. But I, I think, like, overcoming obstacles on, the, on your way to your dreams, what were some of the, the, the keys to success for you? Um, you know, so having a philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. What do you stand for? Um, you know, defining uh, success first and foremost and having someone there to uh, get you and get you into success shape, right? A mentor uh, or a coach and advisor, somebody that's going to be truthful to you and gonna give it to you real and raw, right? I think mm-hmm. that is 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 key. Uh, be open to learn. Be able to learn new things and new ways of doing things. I think that's important. Uh, allow yourself to make mistakes, right? Uh, you know, sometimes you know I'm a perfectionist, and sometimes I didn't allow myself to make mistakes. Uh, um, and I think I had to learn uh, and grow in that area to allow myself to be successful. Um, success don't mean you're perfect. Uh, success means you're successful uh, by the definition you make it. And then uh, we talked about this earlier. Uh, put it in the time and put it in the work. Um, in my current business, the Sports ID, we're a sports technology company. Uh, so what does that mean? Uh, I got enough sports credibility to last, you know, ten lifetimes, mm-hmm. but not so much in technology. When I started, so about ten years ago, Alex, I. Uh, I started going to these technology meetups, incognito, and learning a lot about technology, um, you know, listening. I wanted to understand 
the mindset of developers. I want to understand the mindset of project managers. I want to understand the mindset of product managers and the jargon of the industry. Uh, because I knew at some point in time uh, I was going to dive into, into tech. And, you know, we kind of pivoted away from media. And so it's like, what's the next thing? You know, what can we do that will have an exponential effect? And technology was it. And so I learned the business, right? I put it into work, put it into time. And so uh, maybe about five, six years ago, sitting down with my mentors and advisors, like, you know, hey, I love sports. I don't see myself getting away from sports. You know, how can we affect sports? And so one of the things we came up with out of that weekend was whatever we do on the sports side to make sports better, you know, is going to involve technology. And so that's where the idea of sports ID was born. So for the listeners, you know, the best way I can explain sports ID is think of sports ID as the LinkedIn for sports, um, but with data analytics and statistics built into the profiles. Um, our goal is to be able to qualify and quantify everything and everybody in the sports ecosystem, people, places, and things. Uh, we know that that's a, a huge task. So we'll do things in stages and phases. Uh, the first phase, we focus on youth sports. And so one of the first products we're launching this summer, uh, obviously, because of COVID, uh, we're doing things a little different. But our first product was called Camp ID. So think of Camp ID as the Angie's List or Yelp for sports camps. Okay. Uh, we sit in the middle of a two-sided marketplace. One side, you have camps and camp directors. The other side, you have young athletes and parents of young athletes. And we guide that digital connection easily and efficiently. Uh, it's a software as a service business model. And uh, we think that that's going to work and grow and scale. And we'll replicate that same model in other verticals in sports. So we do the same thing for tournaments. We do the same thing for teams, how to find the best team. Do the same thing for coaches, how to find the best coaches. Same thing for trainers, how to find the best trainers. So on and so forth until we have everything and everybody qualified and quantified. That goes from executives to products and services to fans, you name it. We have uh, a model uh, built out uh, to make all that uh, uh, available in some form of fashion uh, for people in the sports ecosystem. And, that, and that's kind of what we're building. But it started with me researching, going to the meetings, going to the conferences, the tech conferences, going to the tech meetups uh, and taking a lot of classes too, uh, mm -hmm. I made that uh, to learn about the business. So uh, that's kind of what helped me, uh, you know, kind of kind of plan for success, nice. put in the work. Research, yeah. so put in the work. So research, education, uh, diving in, uh, finding other people who can, you know, you said mentors, that's it. Uh, talk about your perspective on leadership, Ryan. Like, how do you define it? So leadership has been defined by myself uh, in many different ways. Uh, so depending on what time I wake up, you know, I, I can define leadership. And so I try to keep things as simple uh, as possible. I think leaders are uh, examples in and of themselves. I think they allow themselves to be vulnerable. I think they allow themselves to be open. Uh, I think they um, are the standard barriers in whatever they do. Uh but, it, you know, the, the, the key things for a leader is what you say and what you do must be the same. Let's go. 
Right. Say that, say that one more time. Right? For the people say, in the back. Yeah, what you say and what you do got to be the same. You know, there can't be any any light in between there. It can't be any room in between there. And I think that a lot of times there is. And uh, for me, you know, talking about it early, we spoke about it earlier, is I'm not going to ask my team to do anything I'm not willing to do. And what I say, what I do, it matches, it meshes. And I think that's what leaders uh, need to be able to do. Leaders need to be to help others, right? Um, and find out what your team or teammates need help in, what areas. Uh, you know, you got to be willing to uh, make sacrifices and then help others, you know, whatever that sacrifice is. Uh, and lastly, I think, uh, leaders need to be able to uh, create other leaders, right? Um, because uh, if you look at any successful uh, enterprise uh, company, uh, that's what they do. Uh, if you look at any successful team, uh, sports team, that's what they do. They try to um, have the next talent in place i argue that talent and leaders leadership is totally different uh yes i i argue that some of your most some of your best leaders aren't your most talented uh teammates uh we were lucky in that uh when we played for san diego uh it was right mm -hmm. and so we we lived in a world of alphas, right? Yeah. So we were the best of the best from Little League when we went to high school. We were the best of the best uh, in college that came from high school. In the pros, we were the best of the best that came from college. Uh, and I argue and tell folks all the time that when you're in the NFL, you're the 1% of the 1%. And uh, there are individuals, even on that level, that are leaders of men, are leaders of alphas. So they're the alpha alpha. And for us, it was Junior. He didn't do- That's Junior Seau, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Junior Seau, you know, he, he was, and it still hurts to this day to know that he's gone, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, he was a guy that made you want to follow him. Uh, the way he went about his business, uh, his work ethic, his, zest for life uh playing through pain Absolutely. Uh, it's like it's like yeah it's like if he can do it i can do it and it rubbed off on you and so um you know leaders leaders created atmosphere of want to have mm -hmm. to need to and that's what he created uh amongst us you know we highly paid now highly skilled but we still wanted to do it because he set the tempo. Uh, he was the example, and it didn't need much for many of us. Uh, but you know, he, he was diffused, and I think leaders, good leaders, are like that. And he happened to be, uh, you know, the best player, one of the best players that had that. But I've been in other situations where it hasn't hadn't been the most talented guy, right? In college, a guy by the name of Derek Golden. Uh, you know, he was uh, a backup linebacker. Uh, but 
when I tell you he would give the most fiery speeches at the University of Miami that make you want to want through a wall uh, because he knew people. Now, you know, one would argue that was his destiny because he's a minister now. Mm, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> and so, so, but, uh, you know, he, he led because, you know, he could see, and I think being uh, not in the fray, being on the sidelines, being able to see and hear things that you can't uh, see and hear when you're playing in the game, uh, he was able to make these, these speeches that touched you and, and, and made you kind of think a certain way and uh, move and act a certain way. And, and those are important. And I think that, you know, uh, ideally, uh, you know, there's no one type, one size fits all, right? Yeah. I, I, th I think you, you lead differently depending on the situation and the desired outcome. And I think real leaders have that ability to adjust. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's so cool. Ryan, how do you structure your life? Like it does it is it different than when you played ball? That's a good question. Um I would argue no. Um I would argue no. I think anything worth having, anything worth doing takes practice. Uh being a father takes practice. I'm a better father now for my seven-year-old than I was for my 23-year-old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm a better friend now than I was uh, early in my life uh, because I've expanded. I've become more open minded, I've become more tolerant, become more patient. Uh, I think I'm a better son uh, than I was when I was growing up. Uh, and I think all of this is because of uh, time and you take practice. Right. So, you know, I'm sure like you have explained, you know, what's the common day like for an athlete, whether college or pro? Well, you meet, you have your strategy session uh, and you say, hey, this is the team we're playing. You have a scouting report, what they do good, what they do bad. And business, we call that a SWOT analysis. Right. Uh, strength, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And so you do your SWOT analysis, the equivalent of a scout report. Um, you know, this is what we're going to do. We, this is what we think is going to work. So you watch film on the uh, opponent. You go out and have your walkthrough. You have your practices uh, the next few days. Make any adjustments. You think according to uh, somebody, the health report, somebody's hurt, somebody's going to be replacing this, this, that. You travel, walk through, play the game. Uh, after the game, uh, you look at the film, seeing what you did right, what you did wrong, and watch, rinse, and repeat. And I think being an uh, 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 entrepreneur, being uh, a father, it's, it's kind of similar. I mean, I, I, I think you, you do the practice, you do the, uh, uh, the conversations mm -hmm. about why you're doing X, Y, Z, uh, you practice it and you look at the outcome and then you make adjustments from there. And so I think that's my structure, uh, you know, in my life, uh, you gotta have your components, your, your necessities. I think you have to have a spiritual component, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, you have to have a mental component, whether or not you're taking classes, learning, reading books, things of that nature. You have to have a physical component, you know, taking care of yourself. I think that's important. 
Uh, you know, we're at the stage and age in life now that uh, it's important, really important to take care of yourself because we have a number of friends that we played with, we know of who passed away early. Um, and, and, and that, you know, puts that being physical, um, you know, high priority. And then emotional, I think. You, you got to be, you know, have some good emotional help, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Allowing ourselves to be vulnerable uh, to, uh, to the world and not being closed off. Um, you know, we have been in word program to um, next man up, next play, uh, one snap and clear, right? Have, mm-hmm. a, have a very bad memory uh, and focus on the next, on the next focus on the next play, uh, on the next practice session, on the next game, on the next season, everything was the next. And so now uh, I kind of structured it as uh, more uh, going a deep, doing a deeper dive in whatever's happening uh, in my life, taking a lot of time to almost deconstruct it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Doing that uh, uh, self-scouting, we call it. You know, we was playing, we would do self-scout, you know, every four games or whatever, make sure we're not giving away anything, not doing, you know, what our own tendencies. And so we self-scout. And so I think that I do a lot, a lot of self-scouting in my business, in my personal life. Uh, and uh, again, it's applicable uh, from what, you know, I've learned from sports and, uh, and doing that self-scouting, I realized I'm not as more as communicative. I wasn't as, 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 as open. I wasn't as transparent. I wasn't as vulnerable as I needed to be. And so when you see that, um, you can go back and make check marks and say, hey, I need to do more of this. Mm-hmm. I need to do more of that. And that's how I typically structure my life uh, in that regard. And uh, again, it's something that I know, something I'm comfortable with. And, uh, and it's been successful for me. Man, yeah, that's, that's great. I love self-scouting and then the SWAT. Yeah, I like that. What relationships did you lean on to have success uh, on the field and then off the field? Uh, the, the successes on the field, I think it was easy. Teammates, um, uh, you know, people like yourself, like Junior. Uh, when I came in the league, uh, I was uh, Detroit's number one pick. Uh, so 33 overall. And I was expected to come in and contribute right away. Uh, we had a veteran team. So uh, luckily for me, I had two University of Miami Hurricanes there, Benny Blades and uh, Brett Perriman. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, they're my guys. They're like my big brothers. Uh, but because we had an older team, you know, people like Lomas Brown, Kevin Glover, uh, Chris Fieldman was another one because I held out. Uh, I don't know if I think I, you might know, but I, but I held out all the way up until 92 for the season. Oh, so when I, I know that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so when I came in, uh, and this is this is no lie, Chris Billman, Ben Blades, uh, all the guys on uh, defense, they would literally lock me in the in the in the film room with them and make me watch film with them, like for the first six weeks of the season. It's like us, like Greg Jeffries and Kevin Minifield, the rookies that came in with me. They would all be having fun going to the mall, uh, doing, <laughs> doing, you know, doing fun stuff that rookies do. But it's like, nah, you, 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 you late, you behind. We need you to contribute right away. And so that's where uh, another uh, habit came from. 
is uh, I was forced to, right, begrudgingly, and uh, learn how to watch film. I was taught how to watch film, what to look out for from, you know, all pros like Benny Blaze, Chris Spielman, Mike Johnson, and, um, and and it was just a habit that I kept uh, all throughout my 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 uh, career, and um, and that was important. Uh, learning from from those guys, uh, business people. Uh, it was important to learn from uh, you know successful business people that I knew uh, in technology, uh, media, uh, and sports. Right, so. Uh, one of the people who I had uh, a disdain for initially was a guy by the name of Michael Hugh. Michael was the assistant general manager of the Detroit Lions. Uh, he came from the league office. He's Cornell guy, you know, and he and I was button headed on a contract. I was holding out. And one mm-hmm. thing I told him, I said, Mike, listen, I think I can make a million dollars with my mind, uh, you know, as well as my body. If you want to test me, let's test it. I can hold, I can go back to school. I'm cool with that. Eventually we got a deal worked out, but, and he and I since become real good friends, but he kind of saw my resolve uh, that I was absolute in believing that, you know, hey, I can go and make a million dollars with my mind. And, uh, and I thought that, you know, uh, it wasn't gonna come to that. I was hoping it wouldn't come to that, but he was another guy who, was became real successful on the sport executive side of things and um, would reach out to, to kind of help shape, you know, some of the decisions that I made on the, um, on the football field. And so to me, it was easy. A lot of the examples I needed to see, I wanted to see uh, have already been made. And uh, I believe I've been fortunate to have those type of relationships to be able to make calls and uh, and to get that knowledge, we always talk about those nuggets, right? So we're sharing nuggets uh, with the audience, but you know it's only because nuggets were shared with us, right? Mm-hmm. And I truly believe in paying it forward in uh, any form or fashion, and uh, and and that was and that was it was important. And then sometimes you got to go way, way, way back, right? Sometimes you got to go way, way back to your pop Warner coach, to your high school coach to your college coaches and uh, kind of explain to them, hey, this is what I'm feeling. This is how I'm feeling. You know, how should I handle this situation? And, uh, and you know, obviously your parents and your family are always there, uh, but sometimes you need to go outside of that circle and, uh, and get some fresh perspectives. Mm, that's great, man. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm taking notes. So you was talking about and when, you're, when your teammates locked you in the film room, right? And I, I, so it wasn't about, man, hey, we're going to work on your 40. We're going to work on your shuttle run. We're going to work on your vertical. We're going to work on the ability that you have. No, it transferred from that to knowledge. You need to learn how to watch film like a professional. And that can help speed up your knowledge. Exactly. And the thing that took me a while to, to get, and this is really important, I looked at, looked at it initially as punishment, right? Mm. And it wasn't until I looked at it as uh, assistance, as caring, as them pouring into me because they need me to contribute 
uh, it was their way of, of, of loving me, right? Of, of, hey, young, young fellow, we see things, good things in you. And, you know, we need to accelerate that process. We pour more water, more sunlight into you that uh, the light bulb went off and I received it and accepted it and uh, took it, uh, my initiative. And so, and then after about the first few weeks, you know, I would beat them to the room, right? I, I, would, I would be there ready for them. And so, you know, the light bulb went off and, you know, that kind of set the trajectory of my career. Mm. So you had to look at it from another angle, perspective, right? You're thinking it's punishment. It's like, hold on, this is not punishment. They're taking time out of their, their lives, out of their family lives to, to spend more time with you after work and then be able to pour into you. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's exactly. It. I love that. Um, so, man, talk about like culture. Culture, one of your, your most successful teams. Like, what type of culture do do you have in your on on that team that maybe you you took some of that in the thought process to apply it to your business now? Um, I think that the the one thing I think would be really interesting to study. Uh, you know, for a college professor or a college class will be championship teams, right? Uh, like you, I have books that I need to write. And one of them will be the anatomy of a champion. Mm-hmm. And I go back and look at uh, the teams that I were on and part of at the University of Miami. Uh, culture was important. Uh, chemistry was uh, just as important. And, you know, I think chemistry is very important for team success. It's the magic dust to make things being successful. It's not how smart you are, how dedicated you are, how disciplined you are. Uh, but, you know, finding guys who work well together. And, uh, and I think that's important. So culture, for me, when I look back at University of Miami, the teams I was successful on, you had a little bit of everything. You had the, uh, uh, the cops, the police, who made sure everybody did everything right. Uh, was on time. Uh, you have your leaders. We talked about that before. Uh, you have your um, your wood choppers. Yeah, your hard hat guys that's gonna come to work every day. Uh, you know what to expect out of them. Obviously, you had some of your superstars, but then we you drill down deep. You had some of your comedians, guys that kept guys loose, right? Yeah. And so. Yeah. You know, for us, we had quite a few of them jokers in San Diego. Uh, you know, the 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 main one, uh, Fred McCrary. You know, <laughs> you know, I had he, him as a guest. You know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 oh man, I gotta go back and look. I I, I, I I listened to the first few minutes of it, but I gotta go back and listen to everything. And um, Marcellus Wiley, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fred McCrary, Marcellus Wiley. Uh, you know, all those type guys, uh, Tim Dwight, you know, to a degree, you know, the odds of this different, right? So he's like, it's like, okay, he's not normal, uh, but that's what we needed, right? And so I think the culture is key and important. And, and uh, at the University of Miami, we had some of the same things. We had some wild and crazy guys, like no matter what, it's six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock at night, they are wild and out. Uh, you had your your conscience. So, you know, I took more the conscious approach. So our conscience and our team when I was there was Russell Merrill. And so when he left, I kind of took over that mantle. But then you have your showboaters, 
Lamar Thomas, uh, you know, our receiving core, they talk more trash than anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you had your hard workers. I think all of us worked hard, but there's some guys that will outwork you no, no matter what you do. If you, if you run, you know, 15, 10, they're going to run 16. You run 16, they're going to run 18. You run 18, they're going to run 20. And uh, the guys that set the pace, um, you had uh, leaders, like I talked about, like Derek, Derek Golden, um, who reminded you who you were and who we were. And uh, culture, I think, has to be authentic, right? It has mm-hmm. to be organic. And what I mean by that is, uh, when I played for, and people don't know this, I, I don't even have this on my resume, uh, to speak about it, about playing for Cleveland Browns, right? So I played for Cleveland the first year they came back. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you that was probably the, one of the saddest times I participated in sports. I literally considered retiring because it was wow. it was just that bad, and our culture, our culture sucked. Uh, they tried to they tried to manufacture leaders, right? And at this level, you will know that that typically don't work out well, mm. and it wasn't organic. And they tried to make leaders to guys who got paid the most, right? Mm. One work. And, you know, I argue that our success or lack thereof was because of things like that, as opposed to, you know, letting the team select our leaders and doing things that way. And uh, so culture, culture is important. Uh, Culture is important. I think that culture uh, starts from the top. Uh, it has to be organic. It has to be authentic, and uh, it has to be uh, obvious. It doesn't have to be complicated. I think you start, you know, culture with one or two principles, uh, one or two pillars, uh, and work from there, right? Mm-hmm. And you let the others have input as to what you want and what we want as a collective what the culture to be. I don't think culture is um, one directional. I think it's bi-directional. Bi-directional. Explain that for me. So it comes from the top down Mm. and the bottom up. Got it. Yeah. And so your culture is going to be what's in the middle. What's has changed? I like that. Yeah. So from the, like from the front office or the coaches, right. Going down to the players and then, yeah. no, the bottom, the bottom is the equipment guys. Equipment, the bottom yeah. is the, the bottom oh, is stuff. the, the, uh, the, the maintenance guys that cut the lawns for us and stuff like that. To me, yeah. that's the bottom. And then, you know, back up, you know, the guy mm. cuts the lawn every day perfectly, the right size, the right height. Um, that's the culture. Cause why he want the guys to, to have the best practices so they can perform at the best uh, time on Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. So they got to do their job. They got to make sure it's watered, uh, not too watery, right? Not to slip to get anybody hurt. Uh, and so to me, that's what I mean by bi-directional. goes both ways. The security guy to let um, us in in our parking lots and stuff like that, make sure they look after us because if they know something happens, then our mind is on, you know, our cars getting broken into and things like that. They doing their job. 
to make sure we can stay focused on the practice field, get ready for game day, things like that. That's what I mean by bi-directional. The secretaries and our itineraries, make sure that uh, uh, the meals are correct, the rooms are right, you know, the right roommates and all this kind of stuff. That's what I mean by bi-directional. And mm. the culture is there um, that, um, that, you know, filters from the bottom up and top down. Man, that's great. I like that. Man, you dropping some nuggets here, Ryan. So before I let you go, man, is there anything like, is there any other strategies or tips you can give my listeners? Cause you dropped a bunch. I just want to make sure I'm scraping the plate. Um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Alex and, you know, and we definitely got to do this again um, uh, later on, but uh, I think, um, you know, the listeners, we have to be able to uh, tell our own story. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get a lot of practice at it. Right. Uh, you know, for all the time we was in high school, all the time we was in college, all the time we was in pro, typically we have a microphone in front of us and some reporter <laughs> want to get, you know, our opinion on a, on a game, on a player, an opponent, uh, something that happened. And so, uh, but, you know, listen to you before the show, we was talking about, you know, how do we tell our own story? Right. And I think that we got to get comfortable with that. Uh, I think the audience has to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Uh, there are a lot of situations where I was the only, you know, African-American guy in the room. A lot of times uh, I had to be comfortable with uh, folks learning that I was an, a professional athlete because like you, I don't lead with that. If they know, then fine, but I don't lead with that. I have to be comfortable with being a professional athlete. You know, we were, that's rare air. And, uh, you know, be, be who you are. Uh, I would say uh, plan, uh, plan your work and work your plan. My dad used to say that all the time. And, uh, and it's truer now than it was when he was just tell us that when we was in our 20s, when I was in my 20s, um, I would say start small and work your way from there. And then uh, wrap up what we mentioned earlier, begin with the end in mind. Uh, don't do things arbitrarily. You know, have that vision, uh, have that thought, have that concept of what you want uh, things to be, whether it's defined success or uh, whatever it may be, you know, begin with the end in mind. And I think that is, to me, uh, you know, some some frameworks of, uh, of success uh, to get things started, to clear things up, uh, because as an entrepreneur, you know, so many ideas float through your head and we just have to come up with a system. Uh, that organizes them, and uh, and I think if uh, um, if your audience can do that and practice that, uh, uh, they'll they'll be well on their way to success. Man, that is great, Ryan. You dropped some golden nuggets, my man. I, I greatly appreciate it. you was dropping nuggets twenty years ago when we was playing together, <laughs> and you and you're still doing it, man. So, man, thank you so much for being a guest. On the Shark Effect, I, we appreciate you. And we definitely, man, I can't wait for our next conversation, whether it's online or offline. Anytime, Alex. Just, just, you know, I'm just a call away. My man. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. 
If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking tr- to transition. What, whether you was an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter developing your own procedures creating relationship roadmaps using adversity to your advantage right because we all go through tough times but how do you flip it how do you use it to power you okay and then developing your own standards so these are things that can help anybody not just not just athletes now there's some stories in there you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. Okay, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.